Jesus was always looking for the lost. If you follow Jesus around for a day, you would find him tracking the lost, talking to the lost, reaching out to the lost, praying for the lost, hurting for the lost, teaching the lost, eating with the lost, and it got him in trouble. Jesus was all about uh, evangelism. And the Bible says that we are Christians. Christian means little Christ or, or like Christ. So as Jesus was, so should we be in this world. We should be not just loving one another, but always, always thinking of the lost. Now, that's not easy to do. That doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to me. I, I catch myself looking at somebody lost sometimes critically. You know, how can, they, how can they live that way? And then the Holy Ghost will catch me and say, what are you doing? Look at the way you used to live. Well, they look freaky. Holy Ghost say, have you forgotten how you looked? But I want to show you today that Jesus taught about the lost in Luke 15. As a matter of fact, the whole chapter is about things lost. Luke 15, things lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, lost elder brother. Now let's read because today I want to talk to you about the second thing that was lost. Last week we talked about the sheep that went astray. But today I want to talk to you about the coin that was lost in the house. Now it says in Luke 15, verse 1, I'm reading out of the Living Bible here just to make it simple. <clears throat> Dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Notorious sinners. I love that. Often came to listen to Jesus' sermons. He had their ear. But this caused complaints from who? From the Jewish religious leaders, from the church folks. And the experts on Jewish law who should have known better because he was associating with such despicable people. Oh no, even eating with them. He had a Big Mac with the folks. He would sit down and talk with the folks. So Jesus knew about their criticism and he brought an incredible parable consisting of four things lost. I'm only going to read about the coin today. A woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one, says Jesus. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? Look at major effort expended to find one lost coin. And then won't she call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her once it's found? In the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner repents. Amen? So not only is Jesus always looking for the lost, but heaven is watching intently as Christ Jesus reaches lost people and brings them into salvation. And heaven rejoices. Amen? Father, thank you for your word today. It is so beautiful, so powerful. Lord, you gave us such an incredible illustration of the lost. And Lord, right now I pray that your word will shine. That your word will come with power. Lord, I can't do this apart from you. I cannot do it apart from you. I must have the anointing of God, and we must have the anointing of God to understand it. Lord, bring this home to us. Shake us with this word. Help us to get an insight into Jesus and into the way he's called us to be. 
In your name, I pray and I breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I receive the word of God. This is the very word of God. Change me with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to be blessed today. Amen. I love the Bible. I love it. It never gets old. It's a, it's a, it's a thousands year old book, but it never gets old to me and to those who love the Lord, but his word is like honey to our soul. Amen. And I, and I love the teachings of Jesus. He was so easy to understand. He was not ivory tower theology type that he, he spoke things and went way over the head, didn't use big words, but he used words easy to understand parables and illustrations easy for us to understand. Now, on the heels of criticism, which he, he suffered all the time, being slammed for eating with sinners and with the social outcasts of his day, he responds. Now, notice he didn't react and say, well, who are you to judge? But he responded with a teaching. He said, let me tell you why I'm always eating with the sinners. Let me tell you why I'm taking the time and trouble to sit down with these folks and talk. Let me tell you why. And he went into a parable of four things lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, and a lost elder brother. And they were lost for four different reasons. The sheep was lost from straying. The coin was lost by neglect. The son was lost by rebellion. And the elder brother, uh uh-oh, he was lost through religion. Amen? Now, today I'm going to talk about the lost coin. And once again, I just, want to, I just want to bring to your attention in a fresh way. Jesus was all about things lost. If you had known Jesus and walked around with him, you would have seen he's all about things that are, that are lost. How many of you are so glad that once you were lost, but now you're found? Amen? How many of you are glad he sought you out and found you and called you and convicted you and now he has stood you on your feet and planted you on a rock and changed your life and given you a hope and delivered you from sin? How many of you are glad? Come on, give God praise. He once said to his disciples, he said, you want to know why I came to this earth, why I left glory and came here? Here's why. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I shared with you last week that the word lost that he used is not the way we use it. We use it like somebody was lost in the woods. Somebody was lost in a strange city. Um, I get lost three blocks from my home. I need a GPS because I I easily get turned around. But that's not what the word lost means. The lost in, in the original language here means to be utterly ruined, to be totally destroyed. And there is an eternal aspect to it. It it means I am utterly ruined forever, forever. I'm lost forever. I'm destroyed forever. So when Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost, we could change it and say, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was in peril of being utterly ruined forever. That's what it means. Now, our world as a whole, I assure you, does not see itself as lost. You need the Holy Ghost to convict you and show you that you're lost. If he doesn't convict you, you're never going to know it. Thank God for the movement of the Holy Spirit in the world today. I know if the Holy Spirit had not convicted me, I would never have known that I was lost, though I was sitting in jail as a 16-year-old when I heard the gospel. 
But I would have never known that I was lost if the Holy Spirit hadn't convicted me. In our generation, our culture, our world doesn't see itself as lost. We're more like the people in Noah's day. And and I believe they are a perfect illustration of us. The way they were before the great flood, they never took Noah's warnings seriously. They had somebody preaching to them for 120 years. Think about that. God says to Noah, there's a great judgment coming, Noah. And I want you to warn the world and build a boat. I want you to warn the world that it's coming and I want you to build a boat and I'm going to give you 120 years. So for 120 years, he worked because they lived way long back then because the, the environment, the atmosphere was different. They lived a long time and sin had not fully taken its toll on human longevity. So they lived hundreds and hundreds of years. So he took 120 years and he built. And while he was building, he was preaching and he was warning. Peter tells us he warned the world of his day that a judgment was coming. But they they took it very flippantly. They took it very flippantly. They went through life with no sense at all of their impending judgment. They didn't care. To them, he was the nutty old man down the street building a boat where there was no water. That's who he was. Jesus said, the arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times just like Noah's. Before the great flood, everybody was carrying on as usual, having a good old time. Right up to the day Noah boarded the ark, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, unconcerned about their, the, the condition of their soul, their, their eternal state, unconcerned totally. Jesus said they knew nothing. They were totally unaware until the flood hit and swept everything away. They were totally unaware, they were disconnected from God, that they were lost, lost in the Bible sense, lost. They were totally unaware. Jesus said, this is how the world is going to be before I return. It's going to be just like that. And that's why he talked about the infinite value of your soul and mine. He said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's a rhetorical question. He gave us the answer by giving us the question. Of course not. There's nothing more valuable than your soul, not anything. There's nothing more valuable than your soul. You can't measure anything. You can't hold anything in comparison up to your soul and say, well, this is right about as valuable as my soul. Jesus said, no, no, no. There's nothing more valuable than your soul. Your soul is so valuable. I have come to this earth from heaven to seek and to save the lost souls of this world. And your soul is valuable enough that I'm going to give my blood as the redemption cost for your soul. Because it can't be bought with money. You can't slap down enough earthly money to pay for a soul. It's it's got to be the eternal red blood, innocent blood of the only begotten Son of God. Is the only currency that works between God and us to forgive our soul and redeem our soul and save our soul. Lost. Think of that word, word, lost. We often see a flashing sign on the highway. It says silver alert. And it'll give the make and model of a car and it'll give the license plate. And what they're letting you know is somebody with Alzheimer's or some kind of debilitating disease 
has, has gotten behind the wheel of a car and, and they're going down the highway and they don't know where they're going. <clears throat> they think they do, but they don't know where they're going. And so the whole city goes on a hunt for this one person. Down every highway, you see the signs. Down every highway, there's the plate, there's the make and model. And you're looking for that one person who doesn't know they're lost. They're going down the highway, don't know they're lost. They've got to be found because they don't know they're lost. They've got to be discovered because they don't know they're lost. It's the same thing with lost humanity. We're lost and don't know it. We're driving down the road of life and we don't know that we're lost and we don't know that all of heaven is on the hunt for you and me. All of heaven is geared to finding, to seeking and saving that which was lost. So to drive the point of our lostness home, Jesus talks about four things lost, a sheep, a coin, a son, and an elder brother. He said, let me just get it to you in so many different ways that you will get it. You will get it that, that man is lost. You might think you're okay and everybody else is okay and we're essentially good and we don't really need any God or need any Savior. I talked to an atheist this week, hardcore atheist, making fun of the Bible, making fun of the promises of God, called me names. It was so good. I love it. I love a good debate. I just love it. It doesn't bother me a bit. Call me names. Go ahead. I talked to him about God. Talked to him about the, the surety of the Bible. And I, and I just told, told him flat up, you're lost. And you don't know it. You're driving down the highway. You don't know you're lost. Heaven has a silver alert out for you. Amen. But Jesus said, let me just... Use illustrations that are true to form. A sheep says, we're all like sheep who have gone astray, but we're also like the coin. And I believe that he used a coin for this reason. The coin bore the image of the king. The coin in Jesus' parable was a drachma. D-R-A-C-H-M-A, drachma. And it was a valuable silver coin worn in a 10-piece garland or necklace by married women. And so you have this beautiful necklace with 10 silver coins on it, drachmas, and one of those coins came loose and fell and became lost. This was not junk jewelry. Jesus would never compare us to junk. It was not junk jewelry. It was valuable, just like your soul is valuable. And it bore the image of Caesar. Remember once when Jesus was asked about taxes? And Jesus said to them, do you, hey, do you have a coin? Hand me one of your coins. And he said, let me see it. And then he said, uh, they said, he said, whose, whose image is this on the coin? And they said, it's Caesar's. Now here's the point. The coin Jesus used as an illustration bore the image of the king. You and I, just like the coin, bear the image of the king. The Bible says, here's what makes your soul so valuable. God said before creating man, he said, let us make man in our image. He said, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Now, he made you and me, and he said, I'm going to imprint my image on you. I'm going to make you in my image. You're going to bear the image of the one that made you. You're going to bear the image. He said, let us make man in our image image. 
According to our likeness, we are made with the image of our creator stamped on our soul. We're not like dogs, cats, birds, fish, nothing. We have been made with the image of the creator stamped on our soul. We are like him. We resemble him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you're high up on the success ladder in life or you have wound up in a ditch, let me tell you, you are valuable because you bear the image of creator God. I got two 20s in my hand here. Somebody said, woo. You think I'm going to throw them, don't you? I got three services to do. That'd be an expensive day. Here's three 20s. This, this one's perfect, or two 20s. This one's perfect. This one, I'm going to do this to it. Now, now, bear with me. Bear with me now. Because here's what the devil tells some of you. Because you've done what you've done, gone where you've gone, wasted your life, made so many bad decisions, he doesn't love you anymore. Listen to me. Here, here's a perfect 20. This one is all crushed, wrinkled, messed up, stomped. Well, let me stomp it. There. It's stomped. But, but, but let me ask you, if I came up to you and said, here, let me give you this one or this one, would it matter to you which one it was? Because even though this one, and you look at this one and you go, well, that's a perfect 20. It hadn't been bent, hadn't been wrinkled, hadn't been stomped, hadn't been messed up. But this one has been all messed up. But you know and I know it has the same value as this one. Same value, right? So... What I'm trying to show you is, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you're coming out of, if you were a drug addict, an alcoholic, a prostitute, way down and out, or if you were up and out, and you were riding high, and you had the wife, and the, or the husband, and the kids, and the white picket fence, you're this 20, or you've been in the gutter, you're this 20, it doesn't matter. When God looks at you, you have the same value. Don't let Satan tell you that because of your sins, what you've done, where you've been, the decisions you've made, the bad decisions you've made. Don't let him tell you that God's done with you, doesn't care about you, that you're not as valuable to him as a good church person. That's a lie from the devil. And I'm here to rebuke the devil's lies out of your brain. But Pastor Jeff, he's had to forgive me a thousand times. And you know what? He'll forgive you a thousand more because, because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And you have the same value. When the prodigal son left the father's house, I'll be talking about him next week. He never ceased being the father's son. And when he came back looking like this, the father welcomed him with open arms, hugged him with a great big hug, kissed him on the cheek, killed the fatted calf, threw a great big party for him saying, my son who was dead is now alive. He who was lost is now found. And he had the same value as the elder brother that looked like this. Amen, amen. Now, I also noticed that the coin was lost in the house. Think about it, because Jesus never wasted a single solitary word. He meant exactly what he said, 
and said what he meant. If you think about the parable containing four things lost, two of them were lost in the house. Two of them were lost by straying out of the house, out of the fold. The sheep left the fold. The coin was lost in the house. The son left the house. The elder brother was in the house. Two strayed and were lost that way. Two got lost right under the father and the shepherd's nose. This one, the lost coin, is lost in the house. I think that's significant. I think it matters. This points, in my opinion, and I believe it's sound interpretation, to how people can so often be raised in church, hear all the teachings, hear the gospel, sing kumbaya, go to all the potluck dinners, And all the fellowships have their name on the roll and sit right there in the pew for years and are never truly born again. They're lost in the house. This coin was lost in the house. That's significant. I know because every week, every week we give an invitation to people who are in the house. Come forward and receive Jesus And then they're made sons and daughters of the house. But you can be in the house and not of the house. Come on, everybody. You can be in the house, but not of the house. Billy Graham once said that the greatest harvest field in the whole world, this is, I feel, the greatest evangelist of our time, for sure, hands down. So the greatest harvest field in the world is the church. Because so many coins are lost in the house. They have the value. They, they bear the image of God, but they haven't been born again. You say, well, how can that be, Jeff? I don't understand how you can sit there and not get born again. Let me show you how I think it happens. In 1879, there was an epidemic of chicken cholera. And it swept America. Poultry, the poultry population was being decimated by this chicken cholera. And it became an an emergency, a national 911. And there was a man, a French biologist named Louis Pasteur. And Louis Pasteur was a brilliant man. He wanted to figure out what was causing this this cholera and how how to stop it. And he he was working on it day and night and night and day. And one day he just finally got so tired. He said, look, I'm going to take a break. I'm going on vacation. And he went on vacation. And when he returned, he injected some chickens with cholera germs that had been left in some flasks while he was on vacation. So it was older cholera germs he injected them with. And to his surprise, the chickens didn't get sick. They're clucking around, just being fine. Thinking that the germs in those flasks had spoiled while he was gone, he collected some fresh cholera germs and injected them into the same chickens that had been injected with the first injection. 
And he had some new chickens, and he injected them also with the fresh cholera. The new chickens all died quickly. But the ones that had been injected with the weaker form lived when they got injected with the brand new fresh cholera germ. The ones that had never been injected with the weaker cholera died. But the ones that had been injected with the weaker cholera, when they got the stronger cholera, the healthy cholera, they lived. And he realized he had just found the key. That the key to stopping the plague was to expose healthy chickens to a weaker form of cholera, which built in them a resistance to the disease. And this is what launched vaccinations. So you get a flu shot, you're getting a little bit of flu so that you won't get the major flu. You say, well, what does this have to do with what you're talking about? Everything. I believe it's possible to be inoculated against the power of the gospel by being exposed to a weaker form. By being exposed to a weaker form of gospel. And there's lots of them out there in America to pick and choose from. They're everywhere. Weaker forms of gospel. The gospel that is not preached the way it was meant to be preached. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Repent and believe. Jesus said, he that believes on me has life. But he that does not believe on me does not have the life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You must repent and turn to Christ and admit your sin and ask him for mercy and to forgive you and to come into your heart. There needs to be genuine repentance, genuine turning. But we have instead received a a weakened form of the gospel in America. There is the self-help gospel. Self-improvement. You can be a better you. If I see another book that says you can be a better you, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to give you a better you. Jesus came to save your soul and to make you more like him. He didn't come to give you and I a better you. Amen? That self-help gospel is a weaker form that inoculates people from the real thing when they hear it. They say, well, I'm already saved, so, so, so I'm good. No, you heard the self-help gospel. You're not good. There's the prosperity gospel. It's all about money. Money this, money that. Jesus came to make you rich, to give you money. That is not the real gospel. He came to make you spiritually rich. You say to me, Jesus said it in Revelation, I am rich and have need of nothing. But the Holy Ghost, or Jesus himself said to that church, you don't know that you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Jesus said, you think you're fine, you think you're okay, but you're not. Let me show you your real condition so you can really get saved. Then there's cheap grace. Cheap grace, cheap grace has run a number on the church. It calls people to salvation without calling them to repent or to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't do that. We just say, hey, come on down in the altar, and there's something about this altar it saves you. Just get down in the altar and get your name on a roll, get your name on a card, and, and you're good. No, no. You can sit in a garage for 300 years and never become a car. You, you, you've got to get saved. You've got to get saved. You've got to get saved. Come on, everybody. You've got to get saved. Amen, this is good stuff. This is, this is red hot. 
You guys always pull it out of me. I go out of here, I say, you know, I'm just going to cool it because I got three services to go. I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to. But then I look at you and, you and you amen me and I get cooking. And the whole thing. And you just ruin it for me. Now, look, I'm all sweaty already, but that's all right. It's Emmanuel labor. Amen? It's Emmanuel labor. But now, we need the real gospel, the real McCoy, the real thing. And when you get the real thing, see, but I'm afraid, I'm concerned that one way that the coin is lost in the house all the time is a, a weaker form of the gospel is presented, and that person never realizes their true need for Jesus. Now, here, as much as lies within me, you're going to hear the real thing. I'm going to preach the real thing. I'm going to tell you the real thing. I'm going to tell you the truth. God didn't lay his hand on me to tickle ears. Ears are going to be tickled all the way into hell. Your ear can be tickled all the way into hell. I'm not going to tickle your ear. I'm going to tell you the truth because somebody told me the truth and I got saved. Amen? And then finally, the last thing in this incredible parable is the coin was lost by neglect. See, the fitting the coin rested in clearly had loosened. And, you know, this has happened to many of us. You know, a a, a diamond or a ruby or some precious stone in a ring, suddenly we look and and one of them has fallen out because the the fitting got loose. And, And this woman wasn't paying attention. She wasn't paying attention. And it eventually fell out by neglect because she wasn't paying attention to those 10 silver coins in her necklace, it came loose and it fell out by neglect. And in the same way, so many times people take the precarious state of their souls lightly. See, we, we're, we focus on our 401k, not knowing a lot of times you don't even get to enjoy it. I've done funerals where the person, the week they retired, died. And all they had laid up was gone. No, it wasn't gone. Everybody, all their survivors were fighting over it. We worry about the health of our bodies. We take the time and the trouble to work out and look good. But we neglect, we neglect the the one thing more valuable than all else, our eternal souls. Like the coin, our souls bear the image of the king. Like the coin, you can be lost in the house, God's house. Like the coin... A soul can be lost by neglect. Now, here's the end of the parable. It says the, women, the woman who lost it realized, she looked down and said, oh, I only see nine coins. Just like the shepherd saw only 99 sheep, one was gone. Now, she's noticing, once again, that one out of 10 or, or 10% she'd lost. And so it says she lit a lantern and grabbed a broom. And she went through the whole house, shining it into every nook and cranny, shining that lantern in all the dark places. And sweeping, sweeping, trying to listen for that, that, that clang, that, that tinkle of the, the coin. And she's sweeping, and the, and the light is shining, and she's shining the light in the house. And, and the broom is searching. And I'm going to tell you that that, that light, that lantern, typifies and, and, and symbolizes the Word of God. The Word of God brings light. Right now, you're getting light out of the Word of God. I'm ministering light. I've lit a light in the house. I've lit a lantern in the house today. 
and, and the light is shining. The, David said the entrance of your words bring light. They bring understanding to the simple. And the broom is the Holy Ghost. And he's sweeping the house. The light is on and the Holy Ghost is sweeping the house. Going into every nook and cranny, every dark corner, every place with cobwebs, looking and searching. Until he finds it. The Holy Ghost is searching here today. He's searching in the living rooms of people that are watching. I love you. Isn't God good that he cares enough to light, to light the lantern and send the broom, the Holy Ghost, to sweep the house? Thank God, man, he found me. I was in a dark, terrible corner, covered in cobwebs, lost. And here came the light. God so loved the world. Here came the Holy Ghost convicting me, sweeping my soul. Called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. From lost to found, blind to sight, death to life. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Can we stand together? God is so good. All the time. What a gracious, merciful, incredible God we serve who would take the time and the trouble and the heartache to send his son to search for us. And how good he is when his grace finds us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So Jesus gave this parable to teach us of things lost. Lost out of the house, lost in the house. Nobody could teach like Jesus. Nobody could bring it like Jesus. So today, let me ask a question. Are you saved in the house? Are you lost in the house? Are you in it but not of it? Has it occurred to you that you might be lost in the house? Lots of people are. I'm not here to condemn you, judge you. Nothing like that. I'm hoping that this message and this series lights a fire under us where we get the burden for lost souls and go witness for Jesus everywhere. Because the world's full of lost coins, lost sheep, lost sons, people lost in religion. Can we lift our hands to the Lord Jesus today? Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I feel a holy hush on this congregation today. And right now, Lord, we pray. First of all, we want to thank you for finding us. For searching for us until we were found. But now that we've been found, Lord, we want to reach those who have not yet been found. And I'm asking you right now, there's anyone here today lost in the house they're a lost coin Lord let them be found today in the mighty name of Jesus and with our heads bowed if you can say you know Jeff I might be one of those lost coins I love you I'm not judging you 
I was saved in jail. How could I ever judge you? He loves you more than you can know. His spirit is is sweeping right now. His light is shining. Has Has it touched you? I want to give you a chance to pray with me. Because we want to see the angels rejoice in heaven over one coin saved. So if you can say, Jeff, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure, but when I'm one of those lost coins, pray it with me right now. The Holy Ghost has nudged you. That's that's him. That's not the devil. That's not you. That nudge on your heart, that conviction, that's from the Holy Spirit. So pray with me right now. And just say these words with me. Let's go to Jesus. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I repent of the sin in my life. Only your blood can wash me clean. Forgive me, Lord, and come into my heart today. In Jesus' name.